Welcome back to Redemption Church Online. It's been a couple of weeks since I got to preach. I want to thank Greg and Marty for bringing the sermons the last couple of weeks and continuing us through the book of 1 Peter. Uh, this weekend, we uh, enter into the final chapter of the letter. And so we've got just two sermons left this week and next week. Um, and as we've gone through this, I hope you've realized like I have or, or have experienced the way I have some just really important and valuable lessons for believers today. And it's amazing how God's word, um, this particular uh, part of God's word written 2000 years ago and yet so relevant, and so applicable to what we experience today. Uh, we'll continue to have that experience, I trust, as we go through First um, Peter chapter 5. And today I want to read and look at First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. It says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseen out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. I want to break this passage down into three sections. There's three different instructions to three different groups of people. The first set of instructions is to the elders, and the instruction is to shepherd God's people. Elders shepherd God's people. Let's talk about a couple of things here. First of all, what are elders? There, there's two ways that the word, that the term elder is used in the New Testament. One is the obvious uh, way to refer to those who are older. Um, so folks who are further along in age, but there's a, a more common uh, or, or perhaps more notable way that the word elder is used in the New Testament. And that is to refer to an actual office within the church, uh, an actual leadership position. Elders in the New Testament are the leaders of the church. This word elders sometimes used interchangeably with the word overseer. When you see the word overseer in the New Testament, uh, most, most people would agree that you could interchange that and elder and perhaps even the, the word shepherd or, or which from which we get the term pastor. And so pastors, elders, overseers, the same office, the same people, sometimes just different terms to refer to the same office and the same people. Now, we have, and they had then, elders who are vocational and non-vocational. That means paid or not paid. And there are advantages and, and disadvantages to both. The advantage of vocational elders is that you can free up people who their full-time focus, what they wake up in the morning thinking about, what they spend all of their, their time and, and energy focused on is shepherding the church. That's a huge advantage. Uh, when churches are unable to do that financially, they, they oftentimes suffer in, in other ways. Spiritually, they suffer in, in terms of uh, effectiveness and accomplishing the mission can, can be impacted by lack of time and resources to have elders doing the work that they're called to do. Uh, but non-vocational elders have always been an uh, extremely important role in the church for the last 2,000 years. And so, so when I just say all that to kind of get some groundwork of what elders are. Elders are the overseers or the leaders of God's church. And Peter's instruction to the elders are to shepherd God's people. This is what he says. I exhort the elders among you 
as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed, shepherd God's flock among you. I want to exhort the elders, just like Peter does, shepherd God's flock. And I know I'm speaking to myself along with my fellow elders at Redemption Church. This is our call to shepherd. You know, God often refers to us, his, uh, his followers, his people, his children, as sheep. And sheep need shepherded. Sheep need leaders to lead them and to care for them. And that is the responsibility within the church of elders. Peter identifies himself as a fellow elder. It's important to notice in the beginning of the letter, he introduces himself as an apostle, which was another role that he played within the church. Here he introduces himself as an elder. Uh, Peter was a fellow elder. He considered himself in his role as an elder to be on the same level as other elders. Certain church traditions have elevated Peter to a higher role, a role that isn't necessarily present in the New Testament, uh, but he simply refers to himself as a fellow elder. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. There's actually three ways that Peter identifies himself here. Fellow elder, a witness to the sufferings of Christ, and as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. So these are the three ways that Peter self-identifies here, if you will. A fellow elder, a witness to the sufferings of Christ, and one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. All of those I think have incredible significance. Peter in, in, in identifying himself as a witness to the suffering of Christ is I think expressing humility. Peter could have identified himself as a witness to the miracles of Christ. He could have identified himself as a witness to the transfiguration of Christ. He could have identified himself as a witness to the resurrection of Christ. He could have identified himself as a witness to the ascension of Christ. I mean, there were some high points in Peter and Jesus's relationship that would have given him a certain amount of clout, but he actually identifies himself as a witness to the sufferings of Christ. The reason I think that is significant is twofold. One, this, this is a letter where he speaks a lot about suffering. Peter is preparing the believers to suffer for Christ. He's preparing them to suffer in the world that we live in. And he does that almost every time he mentions suffering. I, I, I didn't go back and check, but just quickly running through them in my head. It seems like almost every time he mentions suffering, uh, the suffering that we'll face, he also refers to the suffering that Christ faced. So he's, this is a theme within his letter. It's something that it's not unusual for him to speak of the suffering of Christ, but here's what makes that significant as Peter is, is identifying himself as a witness to the sufferings of Christ. Peter's worst moment in his entire existence is the suffering of Christ. It is at the moment when Jesus is experiencing his suffering. Now, Jesus experienced the suffering that he speaks of in this letter, the suffering of living for God in a world that is opposed to God all throughout his earthly ministry. But this seems to be referring specifically to the suffering that he faced when he was arrested, falsely accused, beaten, and crucified. And what did Peter do during these sufferings of Christ? He failed. He failed miserably. He denied Christ. He, this was hands down the worst moment of Jesus's life. And so Peter is humbly, I mean, how many of us, I, you know, when we describe ourselves, we describe ourselves in light of the worst thing that we've ever done. 
you know, let's, let's say you, you've killed somebody or something and you meet somebody new and you, you know, you introduce yourself you're like, Hey, I'm Fred, the murderer. That's not this perhaps not the best way to introduce yourself to new people. And Peter's introducing himself, not for the first time, but he's identifying himself as the one who failed during the moment when he, he should have sh- shined the brightest. There's a humility in that. I'm a witness to the sufferings of Christ. He's reminding readers of his greatest failure. But then here's what's so beautiful and, and what I love about the gospel is he doesn't stop there. He's a fellow elder. He's a witness to the sufferings of Christ. But then he's also one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. And so on the spectrum of, let's say, goodness, here's Peter who says, hey, I'm the guy who failed Jesus at the worst possible time. Also, I'm one of the guys who's going to share in the glory about to be revealed. Only because of the gospel can our greatest failure yield and give way to our greatest glory, which is the glory that Jesus Christ will share with us at the revelation of Jesus. This is the beauty of the gospel is that you can serve Jesus in spite of your, your worst failures, in spite of your worst qualities, in spite of the, the, the worst things that you've done with your life. You can serve Jesus, not only serve Jesus, but be one who shares in the glory that's about to be revealed. Because that is the nature of the gospel. It takes sinners who need redeemed, who need saved, and it makes us what the Bible calls co-heirs with Christ. We share in his inheritance for all of glory. I love that. I love the way Peter, uh, the way he identifies himself here. A fellow elder. Hey, I'm writing to the elders in, in these churches and I'm writing as a fellow elder and I'm writing as a fellow elder who has both failed miserably, but who has also been saved, transformed and redeemed by the work and the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, shepherd God's flock among you. Let's look at his instructions. There's three knots here. There's three things as you elders, as you shepherd God's flock among you, there's three things you don't want to do or three ways to not go about that. He says, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. So don't do the work of an elder. Don't shepherd God's flock. Don't lead in God's church out of compulsion. Or out of, out of, you know, selfish motives or not compulsion and selfish motives are the same, but instead of compulsion to do it willingly, that's what God wants. He wants willing shepherds. He wants willing elders. He wants those who have a heart for this work and for this ministry. So not overseen out of compulsion, but willingly. Then not out of greed for money, but eagerly. And that's why I mentioned earlier that it's always been the case that some elders have been vocational. They've, they've been supported by the church to do that work of ministry. And some haven't either way, whether you're vocational or non-vocational, don't do this out of greed or out of the desire to gain money for yourself, but to do it eagerly because it's the work of the Lord. It's because what he's called certain men to do is to shepherd the flock. So not out of compulsion, not out of greed, and not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. 
that phrase lording it over in the Bible has, has the connotation of those who are, are heavy handed and, and pressure the people underneath them who use their position and their authority to, to, to drive people instead of getting out in front of them and setting the example. And that's what Peter calls elders to do. Be examples to the flock. Live a life that if the, if the people in the church were to imitate your life and if they were to behave the way you behave, they would grow closer to Christ and bring him glory. And then he says, so he identifies himself as an elder. He gives, and he gives this instruction for elders to shepherd God's people. And then he, he, he kind of adds some, some disclaimers there, like don't do it this way, don't do it that way, and don't do it that way, but instead do it this way. And then he gives this beautiful promise. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And that's kind of in contrast to those who serve as elders or serve as leaders in the church out of compulsion or out of the desire for earthly gain or out of the desire to have position and authority. True elders, elders that reflect the heart of the chief shepherd, Jesus, are ones who shepherd God's flock, knowing that the reward comes later, that the reward is that we get this unfading crown of glory, that we will share in Jesus's glory for all of eternity. That's the reward for those who shepherd. So that's the first instruction. Elders shepherd God's people. Let me just take a moment and say the church is in desperate need. Both Redemption Church and the church as a whole is in desperate need of men who will step up and lead in God's church and who would do it in the way prescribed and described here in the Bible and in other places that would do it out of godly character, that would do it out of a love for the church and out of a love for Jesus. We need, we need men who are willing to do this, who are willing to shepherd God's people. And that takes maturity and that takes, that takes a, a pursuit over a certain period of time. That's not just something that you wake up and say, I want to be a leader in the church. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't spend any time with the Lord or, you know, I have no spiritual maturity. I'm not equipped or I'm not even perhaps even called to do that. It's, it's not something that you can just decide for yourself, but it's something that God calls men to do. And we need men to respond to that call. Men, I need you to be disciples of Christ so that you can help make disciples of Christ. I need you to step up and to, to lead with a heart like Jesus's, with a heart like Peter's. And I need you to step up and be willing to take responsibility for the people around you. That's what it means to shepherd, shepherd God's people, to care for them, to lead them, to strengthen them, to help them grow and, and, and experience life in Christ. We need that in the church. So elders, shepherd God's people. Next, we see this one, young people. And then I put in parentheses, all others. And, I, and I, I actually stole that from Wayne Grudem as I was reading his commentary on this passage. I think he laid out a great case for the inclusion of and all others in parentheses there. Young people and all others be subject to the elders. This one gets very, very few words in, in the letter here, but it's important nonetheless. Peter says in verse five, in the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. The reference to younger people and elders might cause you to think that he's changed his use of the term elders. But I think in context, we should understand that this is a call to those who are younger, as Peter says, to submit to the office of the elders, the, the men who are leading in the church. Why did I include and all others? 
Well, because I think there's a good case to be made here that Peter specifically mentions this command to young people because they're the ones who need to hear it the most. <laughs> he's, call, he's calling out those who are most likely to uh, struggle with this idea of submitting to the leaders in the church, young people. You know, young people know everything. Um, I'm, uh, I don't, I don't want to get myself and, and um, I don't want to tell too many stories here, but I knew, I knew everything as a young person and, and I'm still day by day learning how much I don't know. But when you're young, it's just the nat the natural inclination of our minds to think that we know better than everybody else. And we know better than the people who are in leadership above us. And we know better than those who are older than us. We think, you know, that we have some special gifting of wisdom and knowledge that everybody else doesn't have. And so it's, it's nothing new that that's a problem when you have people from different generations together. And when you have people who are serving as leaders over another group of people, that, that there's going to be resistance and there's going to be a struggle to not be submissive and not be, as Peter says here, to be subject to and to be um, you know, willing to come under and submit under the leadership and authority of another. And so he calls out young people and he says, young people be subject to the elders. The implication here is that everybody, of course, should be subject to leadership and authority and to the elders. But if we can get the young people to do it, we're much more likely to get everybody. Everybody else should be easy in relationship to getting the young people to submit. You know, I think you can think of, uh, people perhaps growing up when you were in school, maybe you were those people. Um, there were seasons of my life where I was this kid, you know, where, you know, 20 kids walk into a classroom together and the rules are the same for everybody, but the teacher pulls aside one or two students and makes sure they understand the rules. You know, like, hey, we're, we're coming in here to learn. I need you to sit down and be quiet and do your work. You know, well, why did that teacher single out one or two students when those rules apply to everybody? It's because that teacher knows that those one or two students are the ones who are most likely to struggle with that concept. I think that's what Peter's doing here. So I think this is actually a command to everybody. Be subject to the elders. Let the leaders lead. Be supportive of them. And tr believe that God has called them into that position, unless there's significant reason to doubt that and proceed with trying to remove them. But believe that God has put them in that position uh, to lead in the church and be subject to them. Elders, shepherd God's people, young people and all others be subject to the elders. And then thirdly and lastly, everyone treat each other with humility. This is the final instruction that Peter gives in this section. And he broadens it to everyone now. He speaks to the elders. He speaks specifically to those who are younger. Now he says to everyone, verse five, the second half of verse five, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God resists the proud. What a strong thing to say. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. I titled this message, How to Treat Each Other in God's Church. Elders, you know, shepherd, shepherd God's people. Younger people, be subject to the elders. But all of us need to treat each other with humility. I mean, humility just has to be one of the identifying markers of those who follow Christ because Jesus was humble. Jesus was humble, though being God, as Philippians 2 tells us, though being God, he humbled himself. Treat each other with humility. 
I think, to, I think in 2020, as much as ever, we need to treat each other with humility. We're, we're living in a world that is just so increasingly creating dividing lines and saying, I'm over here, you're over there. We must be enemies. We must fight against each other. What we really need is that those who are in the church to conduct themselves with humility and say, you know what? This is what I think. This is what I believe. These are my convictions. Um, but I'm willing to treat you graciously and I'm willing to hear you out and I'm willing to, to um, you know, have some humility and be able to, to interact and, and get along with and serve alongside of those who might have different opinions. In 2019, if you would have told me in 2020 that one of the biggest issues to face that we would face in the church is whether or not we should wear masks on our face, I, I would have had no concept for understanding what the heck you were talking about. But here we are and people are fighting over it. People are fighting over, you know, what's right and what's wrong in this situation. And, and, and there are valid points on all sides and there are things that really need to be considered. It's not an easy time to lead. It's not an easy time. It's not an easy time to be alive. There are a lot of difficult things happening around us. All the more reason to treat each other with humility. All the more reason to humble ourselves and say, I don't always have to get my way. I don't, I don't need to proceed as if I know everything and everybody else is stupid. We need to treat each other with humility. And that's what Peter calls them to. And he goes as far to say that God resists the proud. God is not on your side when you're proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If we want to receive God's grace, we must walk in humility and treat each other with humility. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Clothe yourself. I mean, put it on, just wrap it around you like a garment. Wear it like it's clothing. Treat each other with humility. <clears throat> then he says this really cool thing. Very, very famous, uh, well-known verse uh, here in 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. And then he says, casting your cares on him because he cares for you. Why this command to cast our cares upon God and this reminder that he cares for us in the midst of this section on treating each other with humility? It's because the biblical idea of humility is to count others and to treat others as more important than ourselves. We get this from Philippians chapter two. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter two, verses three and four, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. What does it mean to conduct ourselves with humility? It means first and foremost, to do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. So, so to not pursue my own good, but to pursue the good of those around me. Everyone should not look, should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. That is the biblical definition of treating each other with humility. And Peter knows that that's what he has in mind when he says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And that's why he goes on to say in verse seven, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Because the, the biggest question that we have, if we're going to walk in this biblical model of humility, if I'm going to treat everybody else's needs as more important than mine, who's going to take care of me? 
That's an important question. One that should not be ignored. We might be ashamed that we think it or that we ask it, but we shouldn't ignore it. Peter's answer is God. God is the one who's going to take care of you. That's why he says, casting all of your cares on him because he cares for you. When we treat each other with humility and when we walk in the humility as it's defined for us here in Philippians chapter two, God actually takes care of us. When we take care of others, when we look out for the needs of others, when we, when we put what they need, not our own interests, but rather the interests of others in the forefront of our minds and say, How, you know, who can I serve today? Who can I care for? Who can I help today? then God is the one who's going to take care of us. And if I could just suggest that God is like a lot better at caring for us than we are at caring for ourselves. I mean, we, we waste so much time and energy trying to meet our own needs and trying to care for ourselves. And I'm not, I'm not talking about, <clears throat> I'm not talking about caring for your, your, uh, your body and your soul and your emotional state. You know, I'm not talking about avoiding self-care. I'm talking about this idea of humility to treat others as their needs come before yours. When we do that, God comes in and he cares for us. God gives us the rest that we need. He gives us the restoration that we seek and he cares for us. That's pretty good motivation to treat each other with humility, to know that when we do that, God's response is that he's going to care for us. So that's first Peter uh, five, one through seven, three groups of people, three instructions, elders, shepherd, God's people, young people and all others be subject to the elders. Everyone treat each other with humility as we continue to live out our lives here as, as we've uh, mentioned in this sermon series, the title of the sermon series as strangers on the earth as we seek to live uh, in a place that's not our eternal home, that's a temporary place, and that, but that has great purpose and requires great intentionality on our part, let's pay attention to Peter's instructions on how we should live. Being subject to those who God has placed uh, in, in positions of authority over us, as he's mentioned several times throughout this letter, but also to treat each other with humility, to clothe ourselves with humility towards one another, knowing that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. All the while being reminded this, uh, as we saw in, in Peter's way of identifying himself of the gospel message, that even though we have, all of us have sinned and done things that uh, we're not proud of, that we ought to be ashamed of, and that we, we deserve punishment for the gospel is that Jesus Christ died for us. And he makes us, he makes us, as, as Peter says, one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. That's the good news of the gospel. It was good news to Peter and it should be good news to us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for taking sinners and making them saints. Thank you for taking those who are unworthy of your glory and making us co-heirs with you. Ones who are who are going to share in the glory that is about to be revealed. What an incredible act of grace. You are the true example of humility for you came to this earth, putting our needs above yours and setting an example for us and what it means to walk in humility within the church. God help us to grow in that. Help us to live that out and to embody that uh, much like you, our savior have. Help us to love each other through these difficult times 
Help us to be light to the world around us. We pray that you would bring glory to yourself and grow your church in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, thanks for joining us. Let's continue uh, with one more song of worship before we close.